So our passage comes to us today as we're continuing on through the book of James, and I'm picking up uh, where Pastor Dale has let off. <clears throat> we're in James chapter 1. Today we'll be looking at verses 26 and 27. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So our message this morning is, is entitled, Real Religion. And first thing I really wanted to point out or discuss is that this word religion has become kind of a bad word. It's a bad word in our culture. People, even those who would profess themselves as Christians, use it as a negative word or, or use it with a negative connotation. You probably have heard people say, and maybe we've even said ourselves, that oh, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. We've probably heard that. Um, or we hear people say that Christianity isn't a religion and it's a relationship. The problem is, that isn't true. Christianity is a religion. And that's not a bad thing. It's okay that Christianity is a religion. So why has the word religion become a bad word? Why do we think of it as bad? And I think there probably are a lot of reasons. And it's, it's with pretty much everything. Um, certain examples happen in history. And because of that... The whole lot is judged. It's probably one of the things that I hear my kids complain most about school. One kid does something really bad, everybody gets punished for it. But we can look to different uh, times in history. We can look to the Crusades, uh, where King Richard the Lionheart went into uh, Muslim territory, captured Muslims, and told them they would uh, become Christians or what? They would be killed. They would die if they didn't convert. Um, I don't think this is what Jesus meant by going to all nations, baptizing them and teaching them. I don't think that was the, the intent of that. We also look at things like the Salem witch trials, where probably with good intent, with the desire to separate uh, evil deeds and evil acts and to keep um, uh, pureness in the culture and society, uh, literal witch hunts where people were killed because assumptions were made. And a lot of times without any foundation or, or any backing or anything like that, people were just killed because they were associated with witchcraft and, and things without a whole lot of evidence. Um, pretty much everything that Westboro Baptist has ever done, that, that gives a black eye to religion to Baptists, and, and there have been people that, that when I, I tell them that I'm in a Baptist church, that's the first thing they think of. So we have a negative connotation of the idea of religion, and it, it, it's honestly, it's not a great term for a couple reasons. One, it's, it's too broad. It's too vague. Um, it's, it's very easy to, because it's, it's all-encompassing. You could have a religion of anything. You could do anything religiously, and, and it encompasses 
basically, as I said, any any world religion falls into that category. It's also easy to take out of context. Um, a, a lot of people who have had bad church experiences associate religion with that. So the term may not be the gr- a great term to use. And outside of the book of James, it's only used two places in the New Testament. It's used in uh, Acts 26 and Colossians 2. Those are the only times that it's that the term is used. And I think probably the reason for that is, is the reasons we've talked about. It's, it's too broad um, and it's easy to take out of context. But uh, we also have talked about James harkens back a lot of his message to the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, it has a little bit different connotation. Um, so this idea of the religion, it, it ties in these ceremonies and these traditions, these Jewish um, cultural religious things with true faith in God. And we'll see some of those things as we go on and, and uh, look at our passage today. Um, but in our passage, James gives some examples. As we've already read, this is what um, religion shouldn't look like. This is what it should look like. One thing for us to keep in mind is that these are a couple of examples. These aren't all-encompassing. This isn't a, a road map. This isn't the this is not the way that you please God. And the passage that we read in Romans 4 this morning is great because it's it seems to be a passage where Paul's uh, idea of uh, salvation through faith and James's idea of, of works would collide or be at odds but as we if we look today and as we understand what it is James is preaching the context of our passage today is not if you don't do these things then you please God and if you do these things then you can please God this is how this is how you're saved it's not what James is saying James is saying hey these are indicators if you have this problem you probably have a heart problem or if you aren't doing these things, there may be a problem with your heart. And that is the indicator that we have, um, we have issues that maybe we aren't pleasing God. Maybe we aren't worshiping God because we have a heart problem. So first thing we'll do is we'll take a couple, we'll take a look at, um, what the scripture does say about re- religion that has value. Because if we're going to practice the religion of Christianity, we want it to have value. We don't, we don't want to have, um, traditions and services and things that are dead. Faith without works is dead. We don't want to, ha- to worship God in a dead way. We don't want to have some rote, um, scripted thing that we do over and over again because we believe that that will please God. That's not our aim. Our aim is to have a pure and true religion. So our first clue that James gives us is a, is a negative statement. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, that person's religion is worthless. 
Why do we need to bridle our tongue? Why does why does uh, James address this? Um, there are there are a lot of reasons, and there are, there are a lot of different scriptures that we'll look at. But if we think about it, this is this is not just a James thing. We see Peter also admonish the use of your tongue. If you look through Psalms and Proverbs, one of the the chief things that it discusses is is what you say, how you use your speech. First thing we'll look at though is from Matthew chapter twelve, uh, verse thirty three through thirty seven. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Do we think about every word that we speak will be judged, and that we will be held accountable for every careless thing that we say? Do we say careless things throughout the day? Do we say hurtful things or just dumb things or unnecessary things throughout the day? Yeah, I think we're, we're all guilty of that. We'll be held accountable for all those things. Um, I remember a while back the television show Loki, when he went in before the guy, every word he had ever said was printed out on a big stack of papers. And he questioned, Loki questioned the guy about it, and another printout came out. He took it off and put it on the pile. I thought about that as I was reading this chapter this week, because it will be much the same way. Every word, there are, there are dumb things that you have forgotten that you have said, or there are irreverent things that you have forgotten, but those things are not forgotten. They don't go out into the void and disappear. Our words have value. Our words are counted. Our words are meaningful. And so this is Jesus speaking here in Matthew chapter 12 to the Pharisees and to his disciples about the Pharisees. And they are evil. They're only able to say evil things. Good things don't come out of their mouths because there's no good in them. So this is a a strong admonition for us. How careful are we with our words? We'll be held account for every careless word. That's um, that's a pretty sobering thought. If we look ahead just three chapters farther in Matthew chapter 15, uh, verses 10 through 20, we see these words. And this is Jesus again. And he called the people to him to him and said to them, Hear and understand, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. Then the disciples came to him. Do you not know, I'm sorry, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? He answered, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. 
And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. And Peter said to him, Explain the parable to us. And he said, Are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. So again, Jesus is saying, out of the abundance of your heart comes what defiles you. How do the words that you say defile you? Well, one, it sets a, a, an example for what people think about you. And by association, if you're a person who is a follower of Christ, proclaims to be a follower of Christ, but vile things come out of your mouth, what's the association that's made? There's nothing to all this. All this Christianity is it's just a it's just a, a um, it's a front. It's a false thing. It's a it's it's in a, a thing for appearances. There's no substance to it. And when your words are careless, when your words are hurtful, you hurt your witness. What is it that Christ has called us specifically, commanded us to do? Is to go and to make disciples. What kind of disciples do we make if our speech is slanderous? If we bear false witness or lie? If we are complainers? If we talk evil of people? If we go back to the book of James in chapter 3 um, and look at verses 1 through 12, we'll see this. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at ships also. Though they are so large, and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by very small a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire! And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of a life and set on, fi- set on uh, fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and curse. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? 
neither can a salt pond produce fresh water. These are three accounts that, that essentially say the same thing. Whatever is in your heart, that's what's going to come out of your mouth. If we don't exercise some control over what is coming out of our mouths, we can't bless God. We can't honor God. We can't edify people. We can't care for those who are around us. If we don't mind our tongues, then our religion is worthless. So let's let's put it in a question form. Do the things you say nullify your religion? I have been in this place, and I'm sure some of you have been in this place before, where something comes out of your mouth, and your thought is, that's going to make it difficult for me to bear any kind of witness to this person in the future. That thing that I just said is out of character with Christ. That puts me out of step with a follower of Christ. So we have to be extremely careful. Our tongues are very powerful. They can do a lot of good, but they can do a lot of damage. So why is James talking about the tongue? Why is he he's talking about uh, all this? It's a great indicator of what is in your heart. <clears throat> Let's look at some uh, at a few positive statements uh, regarding regarding our tongue. First Peter three ten. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. That's First Peter three ten. Ephesians four twenty nine. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And finally, Proverbs 15.4, The soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. Have you ever crushed somebody with words? I used to be really good at that. In high school, I had a really quick, uh, I could make a quick reply and I could cut people to the bone very easily. I could probably still do that today, but I try not to, to feed that. I try to put that to death. <coughs> Use that to lift up and to edify other people. So we need to guard our tongues. We need to make a, a concerted effort uh, to, to be careful of our speech not so that we appear to be holy or so that uh, by our control we appease God, but because it's an indicator of what's in our heart. And when those are the things that, that come out of our heart, this is our examination. This is our test that, that we need to deal with these issues. We, we have unrepented sin. We need to go to God and we need to ask for forgiveness. We'll talk a little bit about how to how to deal with that in, in just a moment. But what is pure religion? Religion that is pure and undefiled before God is this, to visit orphans and widows in their afflictions. Um, actually, first, I'll go back to what I'd said. 
I've got a few scriptures. I've got a few things about what we can do to better bridle our tongues. How do we get control of our tongues? How do we um, use this indicator to uh, address issues that we have in our heart? Uh, so the first thing, each day we need to ask God to sanctify our tongues. We need to ask God that he would let us use our tongues for holy things, to build people up, to honor him, and not for slander. Hebrews thirteen fifteen says, Through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do we have the knowledge of God, do we, do we acknowledge God's greatness? Do we glorify Him with our lips each day? Is that our aim? Before our feet hit the floor in the morning, that should be the goal that we set forward, and we should ask God to help us in that. Psalm nineteen fourteen says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. That's a a familiar passage of scripture, but we need to commit our day. That every morning we need to plan to and strive to make honorable speech. Another thing we can do is we can we can ask God to make us aware of our slander. Have you ever been called out for something that you said and you were shocked to realize that you said that? We can let ourselves be callous in our hearts. Um, and when we do so, it becomes easy for us to say things that are, that are wicked, that are evil. When we're calloused in our hearts, evil is what comes forth. The third thing, we should give up our right to complain. <clears throat> this time of year when, when elections are on for the primary season, people will say, if you don't vote, you can't complain. And there are probably a lot of people who vote just so they have the right to complain. We have a lot of rights in this country. We are given rights. We have inalienable rights. That means these are things that God bestowed upon us. We have the right of free speech. But I would suggest that we suggest that we surrender this right to complain. When we complain about our life situations, what are we saying about God's plan for our lives? If we say that God is sovereign over all of creation and it includes our lives, but then we complain when things don't go well, what are we saying about what we really think of God's plan? Either we're saying he isn't sovereign or we don't trust him. So we have to be very careful. We need to actively practice doing good things with our words. Psalm 34, 13 says, Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. Lying is a, is a habit that it's, it's, it's like a, a sinkhole. The first one makes the second one easier. And the second one makes the third one easier. And so on and so forth. Before long, it's impossible to distinguish between lies and the truth. You're able to, as the passage said, deceive yourself. Colossians 4, 6 says, Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you know how to answer anyone. So we need to be gracious in our conversations. We have a contentious society where 
It's you can't throw a rock without finding someone that you disagree with on some matter. And instead of us uh, stepping into those agreements or disagreements with our fists up, we can listen with grace and try to be understanding. The fifth thing we can do, make a habit of lifting other people up, intentionally doing so. Um, it's very easy to criticize. But how often do we lift people up? I don't remember the exact example, but it was, it was a situation where Einstein wrote 10 numbers on the board and the 10th one he in, was incorrect intentionally. And immediately somebody pointed out the mistake that he made and he said, nobody commented on the nine that I got right, only on the one that I got wrong. How, even if there's someone that, that you are unhappy with, what is the harm in complimenting them? What is the harm in extending some grace to them? I tell you, there's none. It's a blessing for us to be slow to criticize and quick to offer a complimentary word. First Thessalonians 5.11 says, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you're doing. You probably remember that from our, our study in First Thessalonians. Build other people up. Mastering your tongue is essential to honoring God. Forcing yourself to be nice, however, isn't the secret Bible code to pleasing God. This is not the way around the plan of salvation. This is a part of the plan of salvation because by examining the way that we speak, we can use our tongue as an important indicator to the state of our heart. What is the state that our heart is in? What, uh, what does the things this we say, what does it say about us? So we look next to religion that is pure, bless you, and undefiled. Um, what is pure religion? Religion that is pure and undefiled before God is this to visit widows and orphans in their affliction. This might sound, sound a little strange to us. Um, culturally, widows and orphans in ancient Palestine were uh, marginalized people. These were people who didn't have a, a male adult in the family caring for them. So all their prospects were gone. The way that, that society worked and the way that, that culture was, if you didn't have a husband or if you didn't have a father in the family, your prospects of survival were really low. And widows and orphans were an easy target. They're an easy target for wicked people. So we have this example because this was a real problem in this era that James is speaking into. Um, we may have a little different scenario today. We may have different problems, but let's look at a little bit at what the Bible says concerning widows and orphans in the time that the Bible was written so we can understand how this relates to us. Uh, let's look at Isaiah 1, 17. Learn to do good, 
seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, and plead the widow's case. Again, widows and uh, orphans were, um, they were targets. They were targets for people who were looking to rob them or to to um, push them down even farther. Even back in Exodus 22, 22-24, says, You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry and my wrath will burn. And I will kill you with the sword and your wives shall become widows and your children fatherless. This is a very serious. There are lots of, of examples. I pared down to about a third of what I had. God is very concerned for those who are marginalized. Deuteronomy twenty-seven nineteen, Cursed be anyone who perverts ju- the justice due to the sojourner or the foreigner, the fatherless and the widow, and all the people shall say amen. Psalm 82, 3-4 Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. And finally, 1 John three seventeen and 18 But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother's brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So God cares for those who are marginalized. God cares for the orphans, for the widows, and the sojourner. We have orphans and widows in our midst today, but in our culture it's a little different. Our culture in... uh, a lot of ways and against many things is a very insulated culture. If you were born in the 70s or maybe early 80s, you probably had BB gun wars where you'd put on your heaviest coat so you know it wouldn't hurt as bad when you got shot. You had this insulation, right? You made it a little more tolerable. Well, we're like that in this country. I was talking with, I think I was talking with Micah. We were talking about something related to insurance and he said, oh, is that what pays for me to go to the doctor? Well, no, that's actually a different kind of insurance because we got insurance for a car. We got insurance for our house. We got insurance for our bodies. We have, in, you know, a lot of times you have insurance for your mortgage. You know, you have a mortgage and you have insurance on top of that. The, sometimes the bank will make you do that. So we have a lot of insurance where something bad happens. Man, this is really tragic. I can't wait for the check to come in the mail so I can go get me another car. So we're insulated. And we do have poor in this country, but for the most part, the poor in our country live better than most of the world. If you are a homeless person in this country today, you can get health care. You can have shelter provided. You can get money. You have access to food. <clears throat> not saying that it's not difficult, not saying that, that there aren't struggles and those things, but re- relatively and comparatively in this country, 
We have a lot of wealth and it provides a lot of insulation. So maybe our minds aren't on widows and orphans because we probably know a lot of single mothers with kids and there are a lot of programs that help that, that it's a really hard thing, but it makes it more tolerable. So our minds should be on widows and orphans in our culture. Those are, those are important things. But we also have, uh, other things, we have victims of abortion. And there are a lot of victims of abortion. By and large, the, the mother who carries out the abortion has emotional scars for the rest of their lives. Obviously, the child that is not permitted to be born, they have no rights. They have no advocate. They have no one to stop and say, no, this person needs to, to be allowed to live. This is a real person created by God in his image. We can't just kill them. So that, that's a group of people who are marginalized today that we can kind of put beside the widows and orphans of ancient Palestine and put them sort of in the same group. We have people ensnared in drug addiction, drug and alcohol addiction. We have people who are, who are ensnared in addiction to pornography. These are people who are chained by addiction that are in desperate need of help. It is very, very rare to see people come out of those things on their own and it's everywhere as um, we talked about uh, earlier this week or maybe it was last week frequently do we hear of oh there's another person who died from well fentanyl uh, heroin overdose with fentanyl and and that's in this county it's a big problem they're in desperate need of help there are people in this country who, uh, who are poor, as I mentioned, but outside of this country, there are people who live in abject poverty. Conditions we can't even fathom. Um, I've told the story many times, but it's still very strong in my mind. A friend of mine went to Africa on a mission trip and, and, uh, they took a boat ride to go downriver to a place that had a, a bodega. So they could buy a Coke. And the guy who drove the boat, they bought him a Coke and gave him a, a Coke too. 35-year-old man bawled his eyes out because he's 35 and he'd never had a Coke. and had never been able to, in his life, afford one Coca-Cola. And he was a man that worked for a living. So we don't have a good understanding of what poverty looks like because we don't really see it in this country. We, our poor are elevated above what we see in the rest of the world. So this, this message, this sermon isn't about how to care for marginalized people, except that all of our sermons that deal with the gospel are about just that. Um, we don't have time for that, but we do have some things to consider. There's some things that I want us to think about. Uh, how do we care for 
those people that are, are the equivalent of widows and orphans and, and foreigners in our country today, um, we love them, right? We don't, we don't harbor, uh, ill feelings against them. We don't think lowly of them. We understand them. We equate them to ourselves as created in God's image, as people in need of salvation. We can help them with money because we have money. Um, financial assistance is a blessing. There are people that just having money provided will allow them to eat, will allow them to uh, improve their situation. There are a lot of groups like uh, World Vision and Compassion International, Samaritan's Purse and things are, are places that you can sponsor children with the goal of a family getting an animal, a goat that they can have that will produce milk, that they can then sell to bring money into the family. Or to buy a well, put a well in a place where people are constantly sick and give them a way to have clean water. So financial assistance is a big help. It's also a slippery slope we have to be careful about because sometimes it's easy for us to just write a check and feel like we've, that we're done. It's kind of a, uh, a sanitary thing. You know, it's, it's, it's a separate, uh, we don't really have to get involved in the messiness of somebody's life if we can just write them a check. So we have to be careful about that. Prayer is very important. Persistent, consistent prayer uh, for the needs of people. It's difficult for us to um, ignore someone that we're constantly praying for. It's different for us. It's difficult for us to be indifferent towards someone that we are crying out to God for help for that person. Finally, interacting with people who live on the margins. Are we truly concerned for their well-being? Do we really care if they get justice or not? Do we provide aid for those who are in need? Because that's what the admonition is from Scripture, that we help them, that we provide assistance. Do we physically touch people who are in need? Do we make our our lives, um, do we open our lives to people who are hurting? So this is, this is what James is talking about. Do you visit the widows and orphans? He's not talking about, you know, do you have a regular schedule where you go? No, he's talking about, are you invested in those people? Are you invested in those people where we have a, a laundry list of scripture where God proclaims his love for those people, where God proclaims his anger toward those who treat them in with injustice? Is it a priority for us that we bring justice, that we bring aid, that we bring love and care, and specifically that we take the gospel to those who have been marginalized? Again, is this a prescription for having pure religion? No. But a desire to care for people is an indicator of the state of our heart. If you're indifferent to the dying world around you, that may be an indicator that you have a problem with your heart. Charles Spurgeon says it pretty strongly. If you don't have a desire 
for those who are lost to come to know Christ, you probably aren't saved. That's a very strong statement, but it's true because if we understand the nature of salvation, what we're being saved from and what we're being saved to, then our desire should be for everyone to know that. So let's again, let's evaluate what's the state of our heart. Finally, James says um, that we're to keep ourselves unstained and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Okay, so that seems almost seems a little bit contradictory where I just said that we need to go and and involve ourselves and, and physically be in the world. So let's look at that a little bit. Um, I mean, everybody knows, I believe everybody knows Romans 12 two. do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind of your mind that, the, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable and perfect. Jesus didn't eat with sinners and tax collectors so that they would like him. He ate with them to call them to repentance. And this is our goal as well. We are to be, and I think you've probably heard the saying before, in the world, but not of the world. We're to be partakers in our society in that we are to be integrated with people so that we can call them to repentance, so that we can share the gospel with them, not so that we come to look like them. We aren't called to be the same. Be in the world, not of the world. We're called to be distinct. We're called to be separate. And what is it that um, that we see? People will know us by our love. And love is a difficult word to use in, in today's culture because it's an extremely overused word. Um, if you love somebody, you should leave them alone, let them do whatever they want. No, if I love someone, I should call them to repentance. If you love me, you should call me to repentance. This is our, as, as Christians, this is our commission. This is the, the mission that we've been put on. Yes, we need to guard our tongues. That's an important indicator as to whether we're on mission or not. Yes, we need to be doing things for those people that are marginalized. That's an important indicator of what's in our heart. And yes, we need to keep ourselves unstained by the world, but at the same time, we need to be taking the gospel to the world. Our call from Scripture today is to examine the state of your heart. Is your religion a pure religion? Or is your religion a worthless religion? Do we catch ourselves speaking evil of people? Examine our hearts. What is our attitude toward a suffering world, a dying world that's all around us? Do we really have a desire 
to aid those in need as we're called to by scripture or are we living life ignoring the need that's around us if you're a follower of christ these things should prick your heart these things should make you look at the state of your heart and have concern if these indicators point to a problem with your heart if you have a problem with slander if you have a problem with lies or um saying useless things if you have a problem with uh caring for those who are on the margins of society those who god desperately loves then we need to repent we need to go to god and we need to ask for his forgiveness we need to ask for him to sanctify us by his word we need to ask for him to change the way that we think about the things that are around us and to change our understanding of what salvation is because of this great salvation that we've been given by christ uh, we should be motivated to take the gospel to all the world if you're here today and you're not a follower of christ then my encouragement is to consider what is your option what is your plan when you go before god to give an account for everything that you've ever said and then you're required to make a payment for the sin for those careless words that you've spoken what is your plan what are you going to say to a holy god what justification are you going to make because there's none that will be accepted the reality is we have a a life that is righteous before god or we are cast away from him eternally the good news is the righteousness that we present to god is the righteousness of jesus if you follow christ if you are redeemed by the power of of god's spirit then when we go before god and he looks on us our deeds are still there but we are covered by the righteousness of christ on the cross he exchanged his righteousness for our rebellion so if you aren't a follower of christ today today is the day of salvation i implore you go before god confess your sin ask him to save you and if you have any thoughts questions anything that you want to discuss come and find me at any time and we can discuss those things let's pray together heavenly father we are a sinful people we fall short of your glory and apart from you oh god we can't know peace we can't know salvation Lord, we pray this morning that you could uh, help us as we 
look at these indicators, as we look at these things and then we examine our religion and we are honest about whether we do things in a, in a ritualistic way only or if those things that are which are important are joined with a spirit and a heart uh, like your own. Father, we want to be like Jesus. We want our lives to resemble the model set forth by Christ. We want to be people who bridle our tongue. We want to be people who care about those uh, that the world tramples. And we want to be a people who live pure in a uh, very sinful world. So as we go forth today, we ask for your blessing on the coming week that we can put into practice these things and that your word continues to work in us, Father. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.